Hour number two of Canuck Central, Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. If you missed the uh, opening hour, Yannick Hansen bringing the fire as he normally does. And uh, we analyzed Elias Pettersson's breakout as he's got 20 points through his last 16 games. Three points, including two goals, one on the power play, one shorthanded last night against the Calgary Flames. It's... um, it's always funny listening uh, or hearing from our listeners after Yannick oh. Hansen comes on the show. <laughs> I'm dying here, man. Appa- apparently, <laughs> apparently, a lot of Canuck Central listeners like um, you know just forget about their better halves, their their spouses for a while while uh, while Yannick Hansen is is on Canuck Central every Friday afternoon. Yeah, it's it's terrific, man. And uh, I believe it's Marcus and Gibson's, or or maybe maybe it's not Mark. I want to make sure I get the number right because I want to I don't want to attribute uh, somebody being married if they're not actually married. You know what I mean? So people would actually take offense to that. Uh, it's actually not Marcus and Gibson's, but uh, this text Yannick is so well thought. Is so thoughtful and intelligent. Just gives the straight goods. He can definitely be a hockey executive any day on any team. Wow, one of the best guests. By the way, I cut my convo short with my wife as well to listen to Yannick. <laughs> so uh, if you don't ever want to miss uh, our conversations with Yannick Hansen on Friday, subscribe to the podcast. That way uh, you'll get it every single week, every single show, every episode, every post-game show, every interview with Yannick Hansen, or our regular interviews with people within the Canucks organization once a week. Uh, they'll all be on the podcast feed and avail- available for you to get easily on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. So Canuck's about to go on this uh, big-time road trip set uh, through mm-hmm. New York and then off to Toronto. It's a big four-game stretch. They've won four of five and are in a big-time spot. Let's bring in our next guest. He is the triple threat you hear him on radio, you watch him on television, and you read his great work at sportsnet.ca. It's Ian McIntyre. What's up, iMac? Have you guys finally settled your argument on whether I'm a triple threat or a quadruple <laughs> threat? Because I'd like to know. Well, I, feel uh, like, I feel like it's kind of my identity. I'm a little lost until you guys come to some sort of conclusion on this. How important is Hockey Night in Canada to you? That's the question. Mm. Well, well, it's important to all of us who grew up here, isn't it? I mean, yeah. So, what, what, once on hockey, you know what I say? Once on hockey night in Canada, always on hockey night in Canada. <laughs> well, that's how the quadruple threat came to be. We had to add that in because of how meaningful that one appearance was in hockey night in Canada. So, I mean, we could take that out, but then you'd be the triple threat. I mean, we could take something else out. We, we could like not say you're digital and just say you're radio, TV, and uh, and hockey night in Canada. We could do that. Uh-huh. You know, the funny thing about digital is people see me on TV now and then. They listen to me on radio now and then, and they think that's what my job is. <laughs> like, I just, you know, I, sh- I pop in here or there, comment for three minutes at a time with, with Murph and Sad on TV or, or come on for 12 minutes now, and that's my job, when actually about nine, well, at least 90% of my job is writing for sportsnet.ca probably more than 90%. But it's amazing, it's amazing the the profile that you guys in electronic media have. 
Um, your Broadcast la- media. <laughs> and and your latest at sportsnet.ca, decked out in vintage gear, Demco and Canucks rekindled fond memories of 1994. Uh, the, the brilliant black skate jersey bringing good memories and good times at Rogers Arena last night. But at the same time, iMac, now the, the Canucks have 38 points in 28 games under Boudreaux. Yep. They've got 29 games remaining. They'll need another 38 points to potentially make the playoffs and get to 94 total for the season. So as as good as they've been through these 28 games under Boudreaux, they have to maintain pretty much this exact pace through the end of the year to be a potential playoff team. Yeah. Yes, they do. And I would say it's possible. It's not. We all know it's not likely. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's possible. Uh, the The problem with trying to replicate it is those those first 38 points started with uh, 17 out of the first 18. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? They went 8-0-1. And I don't know if this team has uh, an eight-game winning streak in it still. Uh, I think just the competition's too good. And it's now at the time of the year where, where anyone trying to make the playoffs is going to be on a, in, in a dead sprint for the finish line. Uh, I don't know that they can string together uh, a long enough winning streak or long enough winning streaks to get the 38 points. But I also think that they could just be a winning team uh, from here on in. In other words, not have the down spells, the, uh, the, the trials that they did in January and into February where they they had a bunch of guys out with covid they had the they had the bizarre schedule with all these interruptions they had guys stuck on the wrong side of the border and all of those were contributing factors to what was a, a very a very average slash mediocre month i think they can be better than that i i just don't know that they can go 38 points the rest of the way but I know that they're feeling good about themselves after after last night as as JT Miller said and it, it sounds awfully optimistic, but they have a new standard. And uh, with all the talk this week, uh, you know, from about you know starting better and being prepared, and uh, as I, I said on the post game show last night with you guys, you know, Patrick Alvin uh, telling me this week about practice habits and how the team has mm-hmm. to essentially practice better and find more consistency there. Maybe this was maybe this was like a, a eureka week. Uh, for this group and and figuring out to be at another level they're going to have to prepare and practice and and be mentally ready at another level uh, i i would say going on the road probably helps with that i think it's it's easier for them to focus on the road even though the games are harder to win um so we'll see i mean it, it's you know boudreau has said all along uh, win the week and the Canucks just need to keep winning the week, and we'll see if they can do mm-hmm. it with this four-game road trip, which is very tough. Well, I'm really curious to see if there's that another pro- level of progression for this team because it started the season off being a bad. They played poorly and got great goaltending, but they were their process was very poor. Then their process got a lot better, and over the totality under Boudreaux so far, I'd say they've been an average hockey team that gets stellar goaltending, which gets you to above 500, makes you competitive. And with Elias Patterson coming alive the way he is, and perhaps some of the other guys getting going offensively, like Bo Horvat, who had a couple of goals last night, 
can this team show that it can be above average five on five and get stellar goaltending? Because then you're a lot closer to being a good team with great goaltending. Like, is there another progression we see the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I would say, Sad, I'd, I'd probably disagree with you a little bit. I, I'd say that they, they have been above average five on five. I think their their problems, why they haven't won even more than they have is the same problem they had at the start of the year where their special teams uh, have let them down. But I think their five-on-five play is better. And certainly, and certainly their defensive metrics, you know, what they're, what they're giving up uh, and the expected goals, I, I think, are, have, have been better under Boudreaux than what they were under Travis Green. And uh, I think Pedersen is a huge factor in this. You know, this is the best he's looked uh, since since uh bubble pd and and he needs to maintain that horvat needs to to be a little better yet or at least a little more productive yet brock besser i think can be a lot more productive uh yet but it's the the goaltending you can count on that's a great factor in their favor but again it's it's special teams and even last night i mean ends up being a 7-1 game. So there, were, there was a lot of margin for error at the end. But, you know, in that second period, which decided the game, the Canucks scored three times on their power play. And, and they were able to kill uh, penalties against, uh, they didn't have to do it very much, but able to kill uh, penalties against uh, Calgary as well. So it's still the, uh, the huge factor that they need to get right. Uh, I think they have been pretty good. Defensive, I think they have been pretty good. Not great, but pretty good five-on-five. Five, but it's those special teams that have, you know, been hot and cold and uh, has has still cost them some games here under Boudreaux. It cost them a bunch of games under under Travis Green. And they, if they can be better at that in, in this final third of the season, then they give themselves a lot more of a chance. But they still need those other factors. You know, the, the habits thing is... is super interesting it's I guess the question is where where did they lose that iMac and you know because okay maybe Boudreaux comes in they win all these games everything's going good but since then it's kind of been a little bit better than 500 we've seen them have some really ugly performances right the Islanders Anaheim things like that Boudreaux's talked a lot about habits and being ready to play and these sorts of things like where had where has that gone astray? How did they lose those habits, or where did they go? Yeah, well, it, it, it's a good question, and and it sounds like such a simplistic thing, um, but it's it's hard to achieve. Once you have it, you you want all the players to so value it that you don't lose it, and it just becomes sort of um, um, self perpetuating. Like it, it just becomes part of that culture where did they lose it I, I think it's all wrapped up in in culture and and leadership and uh the fact of the matter and we talked about this you know with calgary coming to town the the, the big loss uh on that free dark free agency day uh after the summer bubble w- was not losing markstrom and and tanev and stetcher out of their lineup it was like losing them uh from their culture and from their dressing room. And then even this season, uh, I know people, you know, made fun of Jay Beagle and, and nobody wanted him at, at 3 million and, and for good reason. But, you know, he was a guy who came every day to practice, every day to the game, 
ready to play, ready to work. Uh, Brandon Sutter, it, it was another guy like that. Uh, Alex Edler, even though he was a very quiet, very reserved kind of leader, every day he came to work, he had he had uh, his hard hat on, and in, and he was putting in his best every day. And these are these are learned things as a pro. Like you're lucky if, say, you get a Bull Horvat who at 19 acts like he's 26, and and already has that those traits uh, ingrained. But most guys have to learn that. And uh, you know, one of the things that Benning said that I've thought about a couple of times early in the season when things weren't going well is that they had a veteran group or they had a veteran group of leaders and they turned the team over. That's the way he, that's the way he phrased it. They turned the team over to these young guys and now these young guys have to learn. And I think that's what's, I think that's what's happening uh, right now. I think that's what, partly what Alvin was referring to. It's what Boudreau has referred to. Uh, I know other people in the organization, um, the Sedins, uh, Stan Smeal, Ryan, Johnson, Ryan Johnson, basically people who have been there a long time, they, they recognize it. And I think it's something that is going to have, they're going to have to continue to work at. So that's why, that's why I found it really interesting last night. What, what JT Miller said about the standard, because, you know, it's, it's an important step to recognize that their standard hasn't been good enough and that they need to adhere to some, some, you know, basic principles uh, about preparation and readiness. So that's important that they recognize that. But, you know, the far harder part, as with most, most things in life, is actually doing it and executing it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how, how the team handles itself in these next few weeks and these young players and if they are ready not just to play in a big game and last night everybody knew that was a big game uh, as as miller also said if you weren't ready for that game there's something wrong with you but they'll have other games where maybe they're even though the, all these points are imperative to their playoff drive there'll be other games where they're maybe not as excited maybe they're tired maybe it's you know back to back whatever uh you know a half empty building but you still have to be ready. And, and that's what's going to be interesting to see. Can this team keep itself ready so it gives, it gives itself a chance to be the best every night and avoid those terrible games like we saw recently where they're down 5 nothing at, at home against both the Islanders and, and Anaheim because they're not ready to go. It's really interesting to see if they'll be able to evolve and, and get better that way. Well, and absolutely, and the the player you kept mentioning, J.T. Miller, four points last night, leads the team in scoring, top 10 in the NHL in scoring, and for all the talk about trades and will they move him, when does he get traded, the more in this front office watches J.T. Miller, sees J.T. Miller, the more Bruce Boudreaux interacts and, and sees his impact. Does, does a conversation more and more internally at some point become how do we keep J.T. Miller? Well, I, I think I think that conversation is already going on. Sat uh, certainly. Let's have a conversation about how we keep him. Like, let's have that conversation with J.T. Miller and his agent, uh, and and see what he wants to do and what he might be looking for, and and then try to make an informed decision. That's why I've said all along, I'd be really surprised if he's traded at at this deadline. 
when the Canucks control them for another year. And, and Alvin said that this week. They control everybody here other than Tyler Mott and Yarrow Halak. They control everybody uh, through this offseason. So, you know, take advantage of, of that leverage. But again, it, it, when you talk about this team in the, in the context of culture, you know, there's lots of things that can be exasperating uh, about JT Miller. Even he has acknowledged that at times, you know, his, his uh, fr- frustration level and, and how that manifests itself. And, and at times, what example does that set for younger teammates? But set that aside and set aside also this incredible skill set he has as a rare power forward, almost a throwback type, type of player who's got such a high skill level but he's physical and and plays uh, the game with the, with an edge. Um, beyond that, this is a guy who just plays his butt off almost every night. And you know, does he need to practice better? Probably at times, like a lot of the guys. But man, does this guy show up to play and lead from the front? And it doesn't matter what you ask him to do; he's all in on it. Uh, ask him to play center, he's all in. Ask him to play wing, he's all in. Kill penalties, power play, uh, you know, play as a third-line center, which is how it kind of looked at times uh, early in the season, no problem. First line, whatever. 22 minutes, 18 minutes. I mean, I don't think he'd be happy if he's playing 15 minutes. But it, whatever they want, have asked J.T. Miller to do, he has has done it and to me anyways, done it to the best of his ability. And when you're trying to set an example of, of guys who are, are play hard every game, no matter what, why wouldn't you want that guy around? Now, the easy answer is because he's too expensive or, or he's too old, but these are things you need to figure out. And nobody knows that right now. We don't know that at the end of February, a month before this trade deadline whether he's going to be too old for what they're planning the progression of this team to be or whether he's going to be too expensive. They better, they need to find out. They need to know those, the answers to those things before they trade the guy who's been their best forward this season and has been one of the best forwards in the NHL. IMAC, we appreciate the time as always. We'll keep calling you the triple threat from now on, okay? I have a feeling one of you is going to call me triple threat. Uh, the other is going to call me call me quadruple threat. I'm going to be confused about the whole thing. <laughs> well, triple threat, we know. Like I, I think the, once we get to quad or quintuple threat, like those are a little bit more subjective. Yeah, it, it is a good thing to be more have more threats, right? Yes. <laughs> like rather than just a singular threat. That's right. I assume it's a good thing. It you is. guys will tell me otherwise. Yeah. Uh, have a okay. great weekend. You don't want to be predictable. You don't want to be. You don't want to be predictable. <laughs> That's exactly. Exactly. Have Thanks. a good weekend, guys. See ya. There he is, uh, Ian McIntyre. Triple threat. <laughs> Digital, radio, television. Sometimes quadruple threat. Hockey night in Canada, and sometimes quintuple threat, with his great photography skills. But I'll digress. You'll have to listen to the last night's post game to see uh, to hear more about IMAX. Um, coming up through the business as a photographer yeah believe it or not he he is an unaspiring photographer i don't know how how that came to be but (laughs) he was and is i suppose we're always learning something about imac uh but uh yes you find every post game show imac joins us on every post game show via the podcast feed so jt miller like do we talk enough about how good his season has been (laughs) 
feels like Probably lately not, all we've be been talking about uh, is, is how he's getting traded, Sat. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's the thing. I mean, he, he's been so good, and you keep hearing what he talks about, right? And this goes beyond, hey, what is our opinion? What would you do about JT? But, Dan, like internally, you, you kind of wonder with every game he dominates, does it become more and more likely? Like, okay, what do you think is a bigger conversation? Trading JT Miller or keeping JT Miller internally? Keeping JT Miller. It wouldn't surprise me if, if if that's where the convo is. Like, none of us really know, and that's the truth when it comes to this new front office, right? But, I mean, for all the talk about trading him, that could be a possibility. Uh, we know who we will never trade away from this program. It's Matt Lee of BCLC. What's happening, Matt? Oh, I'm hoping you guys will give me a no-movement clause at least <laughs> or something. Well, uh, you know, those are tough to give out. I, I might just go David Poyle on you and be like, ah, I don't give those out. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Matt Lee of BCLC joins us every single week Uh, Elias Patterson, he's coming out of it 20 points in 16 games Sats banking checks with every anytime goal bet he can find at BCLC What are we we looking at with uh, Elias Patterson? Are we still going to be able to get that juice on his anytime goal bets? Yeah, you know, you've been getting juice all season And if you put a bet on him on a goal last night you were getting even more juice last night against the flames team that had won 10 in a row jacob markstrom between the pipes and anytime goal for patterson was at 3.75 they have been on average at about 3.0 on playnow.com so you were getting juice and extra juice if you put a 10 dollar bet on a patterson goal last night and you got a very nice payout well, and, and, you know, that they worked out. And the one uh, I suggested with it was Quinn Hughes over half a power play point. And that one was paying up pretty solidly, like 2.75. And sometimes that's a bit lower, but the Canucks power play obviously hasn't been great. And, you know, we have, you know, the Flames have a great PK. But what do we make of the power play points and what, what the odds on that can be considering the Canucks might heat up in that regard? Yeah, you know, the Canucks power play, you mentioned it, it's, Certainly been a journey this season. On some nights, they look like a group in that 2020 pre bubble. And then, you know, other nights, they look like they'll never even get a clean entry into the offensive zone. And last night against the Flames penalty killing unit, that was sixth best in the league. They were firing on all cylinders on that man advantage. You know, a Horvat or Besser power play point, that was at 3.5. JT Miller was at 2.62. Quinn Hughes, Sat mentioned he really nailed that one at 2.75. So you got to give props to Sat eh, on that one. (laughs) (laughs) sat gives props and he gets props apparently um tyler myers i i I don't know what's gotten into everybody but uh, a couple of our 650 hosts jamie dodd uh, in the afternoon and on canucks hour uh also chris faber was shouting out tyler myers anytime goal bets like i don't know if they realize this but he's got zero goals on the season but maybe maybe they're just making the play that he's due yeah, you know, I mean, it's certainly been a season for Tyler Martz, and I think it's reasonable to say that no one really expects him to put up that much in the offensive side of the ice, for sure. But over the course of the year, his odds on an anytime goal, they started at around 7.5 in 2021. They've since ballooned to 10. So, yeah, there's some extra juice, if you will, on that one. And at some point this last, you know, 29 or so games, Myers is surely going to find the back of the net at some point, but the question definitely is when. Right, and we'll see if they do that on this road trip. It's not an easy road trip for the Canucks. It's four on the road, and you know, and we'll see what the line looks like here for the game on Sunday against the Rangers. But you know, this is kind of do or die time in staying in this playoff race. So 
this might be your chance to jump on some juice on the playoff odds for the Canucks, right? I, I see they're, they're kind of ticking up here. Yeah, you know, at this point, it's it's kind of do or die if you're going to get in on the boat of whether or not the Canucks can actually mount a serious comeback and squeeze into the NHL playoffs. Their odds of getting there have been dwindling every single week. I think last week they were at six. Right now they're standing at seven. So they're getting longer and longer by the day again as they run out of space and games to pick up points here. And they have been picking up points, of course, but so have their opponents and their odds have already shifted uh, quite substantially in just seven days. Uh, it's going to be a, a long road. Uh, so it starts, uh, the, the road trip starts Sunday in New York against the Rangers at MSG. Um, Rangers will be on the second half of a back-to-back. Uh, what does that mean uh, it looks like for the Canucks odds-wise? Yeah, well, let's assume Thatcher Demko gets the start on Sunday, and maybe there's a chance that the Canucks are not facing Igor Shesterkin in goal for the New York Rangers. So if you're looking at juice, maybe you're getting some value if you place a bet sooner than later before we find out whether or not it should Shesterkin in between the pipes. So that one is going to be a tricky one. I think there was even quite a bit of love on the Canucks' money line last mm. night against the Flames, despite the mm. fact that they had won 10 in a row. So sometimes sooner getting in sooner is always better no no doubt about it now before we let you go Matt, we want to kind of throw you throw a couple of our over-unders for Pedersen by you and, and see if these make sense to you so when it comes to overall points we're trying to figure out what's a good uh total to set up for Pedersen initially I said 59 and a half but like Dan mentioned maybe that's underselling it if you're setting up over under for Pedersen rest of the season point wise is it 59 and a half or do you have it a bit higher than that Look, anytime I have to agree with Riccio, I'm not sure if I'm doing it good. But I think he's on to something here. I think you're probably underselling Elias Patterson. I mean, you mentioned that he's got 20 points in his last 16 games. I mean, no one's saying he's going to produce at a 100-point pace for the rest of the season. But I do think it is reasonable to expect him to be a point-per-game player the rest of the way, assuming he's staying healthy. So maybe that pushing that pushes the points total more into the low 60s as opposed to 59.5. Maybe 63.5 is reasonable. And I think you guys were mentioning the goal total. What were we, what were we looking at for that one? 24.5. 24.5. Yeah, I mean, he's got now 16 goals in yep. so far. He's got 29 games to go. I think probably you're giving a little bit of I mean, he scored four goals. He's scored in four of his last seven games. So I think it's reasonable to maybe expect 27 to 28. you gotta, you got to inch them both up a little bit. Uh, all right. Uh, well, well, we'll do that, uh, Matt, on uh, on Elias Pettersson. I think we, we might need to rename this segment to Squeeze the Juice. Uh, maybe a bit of a reference to Encino Man there, but we've been talking a lot about juice in this segment, so it's it's got me thinking. Yeah, for sure. And look, it pained me. It pained me to agree with with Riccio there, Sad. It really did. But I think he was on to something. All right, we'll give him credit this time. One, once in a while, I'm on to something. Uh, thanks for this, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is uh, Matt Lee of BCLC. Uh, so uh, underselling Elias Patterson a little bit, maybe. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. You can go back and listen to hour one to hear our discussion on Patterson and what the rest of his season may look like. Coming up, Justin Bourne joins us next on Canuck Central. Hour number two of Canuck Central rolling on. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Justin Bourne is going to join us uh, here in a couple of moments. 
I'm going through some of these questions we've got coming up, Sat, for uh, the mailbag, which will be uh, just after 6 o'clock, hour 3 of today's program. Uh, the listeners are, are all about it, man. They, better and better questions each and every week. I love it. Uh, I love how engaged our listeners are. And I'm looking forward to it. Like, I'm hyped for the mailbag. Like, we all look forward to it now. Uh, we're doing underrated, overrated. Rated every Wednesday, which we debuted on Wednesday. Great suggestion by Dan Richo to get it going. And we had a lot of fun doing that. And I love these listener submission engagement ones. And they're great questions, great topics. And we have a lot of fun doing so. And I can't wait for 6 o'clock. Uh, 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line if you want to get in, get in some uh, final uh, late uh, suggestions for Mailbag Friday. But. Uh, if you're getting in this late, I can't guarantee your question will make it through for uh, for today. Uh, every Friday we have Mailbag Friday. Subscribe to the podcast. That's way you never miss an episode. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. We've talked so much about you know this Canucks team and where they are headed, how good they have been playing under Bruce Boudreaux. Let's uh, get another perspective. Sportsnet hockey analyst and uh, co-host of the Kipper and Bourne show, it is Justin Bourne joining us here on Canuck Central. What's happening, Justin? Not too much. How are you guys? Uh, you know, the Canucks put a touchdown up on the uh, Calgary Flames last night. So, so for now, everything's good. Um, every, everybody's happy in Canucks land and wondering if they can continue the push towards the playoffs. Did you, did you see this kind of a run in the Canucks when Boudreaux took over? Like 17 wins in the last 28 games under Boudreaux. Well, it's not necessarily that I saw it coming when Boudreaux took over, but you know, I, it's more that I didn't see the awful start coming that they had. Mm. Like, you know, I, I was on record numerous times going to bat for this Canucks team that kept losing and losing, and I, I, they just have too many good pieces to be as bad as they were. I'm happy that Bruce Boudreau has seemed to at least unlock some of the upside of that group. Um, you know, maybe may flawed, and maybe, um, you know, there, there's some places they, they needed some improvement. But, yeah, this looks more like the team I expected to see coming into the season. What do you make of JT Miller and how much better he's been this year? I mean, he he's just pushing the boundaries year after year. I mean, he's well above a point per game this year, top 10 in scoring in the NHL. How impactful a player do you view JT Miller as right now? I'm just such a huge Miller fan. Like, you know, we, uh, we discussed him on um, Hockey Central the other day. You know, people brought his name up because Elliot Friedman mentioned him as a possible trade chip, someone he thought would fit Toronto. So, you know, that ran a little bit wild. And people are talking about Miller and, you know, you hear some of the trade packages people put together. Like, I don't think anyone realizes what JT Miller is not just doing, but has been doing. Guy over the past three seasons is 15th in points total. He's tied with uh, Sasha Barkov and Johnny Goodrow and uh, Miko Rantanen in points over that, like, that time. It's wild. And he does it well being a bit of a grump in a way that I think a lot of coaches like. So, He's an exceptional player, um, uh, obviously a, a big asset for the Canucks. And, you know, I don't know if they're serious about trading him or not, but if that comes up, I mean, you're not talking about trading a, a depth scoring guy. This is a, a top-line legitimate star they've got. 
Well, and they're so hard to replace, right? And, you know, right. I, I, I was reading your piece, which is up right now, on whether teams uh, on Sportsnet.ca, whether teams should, shouldn't be reluctant to trade their prospects. And reading that piece, all I could think of was Les Snead, the Rams GM, you know, F them picks. That's yeah. kind of what I was thinking, reading your piece. But essentially, I love the family guy reference you had in it as well, right? It's like, <laughs> you're trading away this boat, but you don't know what's in this box. It could be a boat. It could be anything, right? But and yeah. that's, rea- that's, that's really what it is. It's so if I look at JT from the Canucks perspective here, for instance, you're not trading him unless you're getting a massive haul. And if teams are just trying to make the traditional trade deadline deal, a first round pick, a decent prospect and a third piece, that's not interesting to me. No, it's not like how many times, how many different ways can you trade for a guy who's not impactful? You get a third rounder, someone's, you know, mediocre prospect that they're only willing to trade because they're aware he's a little bit flawed, you know, in a first rounder, which is a bit of a lottery ticket in itself. You end up with a bunch of guys who play third, third line, you know, which is great. But, you know, JT Miller's a guy who significantly moves the, the needle when he goes head to head against other lines, other first lines. So, yeah, it, you know, I, sometimes I wonder you know, I have questions about people when they talk about rebuilding teams in their window and when they're trying to be good. You hear that about the Canucks, right? Like, oh, this guy doesn't line up with their, you know, their, uh, their arc when they want to be good. Well, how do you know, like a guy like JT Miller, how do we know that he's not going to have six years where he's an effective top line guy in the NHL? It's not unheard of. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I feel that in, in a lot of places as well. A guy doesn't line up. Jacob Chikrin needs to get traded from Arizona because it doesn't line up with one when they want to be good. Guy's like 23 years old or 24 years old, whatever he is, you know? Who's to say he can't defend well for a decade for them, but they need to trade him? So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of names that are in the mix because they don't line up with their team's window, but I don't think that makes a ton of sense. Well, I think we often, in the, in the prospect and at draft pick conversation, we often forget, like, they are assets that don't necessarily uh, – they have to be on your team. They're, they're currency to use in these right. trades, right? Yeah. And, and, and the best yeah. example that I, I think of is not, not necessarily a hockey one, but I think of the Blue Jays in 2015 with Alex Anthopoulos. Like, he basically traded every prospect that they had. And if you go back and look at it, like, which one of those prospects actually turned out to be good? You know, right. it, the, the, the hit rate on so many of these prospects prospects is low and sure there's prospects that have a better chance than others I know all that but in the grand scheme like a lot of times the proven talent especially if it's a top end one is what I'm going to bet on more than the prospect yeah I you know I have this uh this theory that I don't really throw out there very much because it always gets shot down but like if you traded every single pick you ever had would you be that much worse off like you trade these if you're trading picks for guys that you know are NHL players. So you know you go up to the deadline and a first round pick is an asset. You know it's something you can acquire a guy like a JT Miller or whether it's Chikrin. Like these are if you took those picks every year and moved them for known com- commodities that are definitely in the NHL and definitely move the needle. You know I'm not sure that you end up worse off. I'm really not. Like I don't know how many guys you hit per draft or. You know, if it's so great that you draft a sixth, seventh rounder and the guy ends up playing 150, 200 games, teams call it a win. You can grab those guys on the waiver wire tomorrow. You know, I, I just, I, I'm not sure that, that the idea that all these assets are immovable and you have to protect 
uh, your prospects and your picks and build slowly. Like I, I'm in favor of turning those things into known commodities. And if I can just kind of go on an even longer rant about this, when I was with the Marlies in the American League, I would see the uh, top five uh, Marlies prospects or Leafs prospects, and people would write about it all the time. People love to guess at the next sexiest player instead of the guy who's – Jeremy Bracco was ahead of Kasperi Kapanen all the time because Kapanen, Kapanen played like 50 games in the NHL, and they were like, Bracco's the new one. Just like, oh, man, I, I'm a big fan of known commodities, people who have uh, established themselves over just taking a long shot. When I, and I wonder if there is a team that kind of pivots like that in in the future here. Kind of, we joke about the LA Rams thing, but they essentially say, "Yeah, we'll draft guys, but we'll sign free agents, we'll trade for some good players, and we'll just continue moving forward, and we'll just continue being a good team." Because when you factor in all the time you put into developing a player, sometimes right, and playing mm-hmm. him, and then it's like, well, you're trading a late first round pick, and it's like, yeah, maybe he ends up being a good middle six player for you, but it takes like five years to get there. So why not trade for a middle six player who? can help you now and that's essentially it right and the, the thing is the thing that teams are so hesitant of is trading a pick that's going to be a really good player that's what haunts yeah. you right it's like you hey, don't want to miss one friend. of those top five guys right that changes the organization and that's exactly it right so i think the fear of that is what pre- prevents teams from actually doing that more regularly yeah no i i, I totally get that and so that's you know i throw that theory out there i'm not sure you'd be much worse off I am certain that you would never get that guy at 17th overall who ends up being, I don't know, pick whatever random success, Henrik Zetterberg, I'll use a fifth rounder, whatever name you want to pick. You know, you don't get that guy that ends up being like found money. But this is exactly what we're talking about with the mystery box. You know, you can have the boat or the mystery box. It's like, (laughs) you know, I I don't know how often it it pans out that your fifth rounder becomes a Hall of Famer. So, uh, I do think that there is there's some reason to go into the deadline and say, you know, these assets are assets. I, and if I'm trying to be a good hockey team, well, might as well turn them into known commodities that can actually help my team for sure. Yeah, only the 90s Red Wings find uh, random guys in the 5th, 6th, and 7th round all the time. <laughs> Something was weird there. <laughs> or, or, or maybe now with Tampa Bay and they get uh, Braden Point in the 3rd and, and Anthony Sorelli right. in the 2nd. Look, you're always going to have some fines, but you're right. The the rarity of it is is kind of what the, the bigger thing to focus on that we don't focus on, I feel like, often enough. And in that in that sense, you know, we, we, we on, we're always having these conversations because we know Jim Rutherford's going to do something with this kind of team whether it's at the deadline or in the summer he's going to change some of the furniture here Justin but why do you think there isn't more you know player for player one for ones the the things we the term that is uh, which I hate uh, the hockey trade like why isn't there more of those uh, in the league do you think well one thing I think is established with NHL uh, GMs and hockey men and coaches and whatever sort of uh phrases you want to use is that if you take a risk and it doesn't work out you will be all but like written off and you know punted from the league but if you don't take a risk and you do something that doesn't work someone else will hire you you know like in the in reality for a lot of these guys what they're doing is job preservation everyone these are tough jobs to get there's 32 gm jobs you know only so many agm jobs they pay well they're in cool professions they want these jobs and I don't blame them. And so the, the best thing is to kind of go about your business quietly and say, oh, we're building slowly, patient rebuild, four or five years. Then after 
that time's up, you know, find another way to sort of play it out. There's a lot of guys dealing with their jobs. So you do a one-for-one, and it's Hall for Larson or whatever your one-for-one is, and you get absolutely burned by it. Those people end up out of jobs and laughed at. And, you know, (laughs) I guess in that instance, Shirelli got hired uh, several times since. But um, by and large, just people don't want to get burned. They're afraid of being laughed at. They don't want to lose the the coveted jobs they have. Well, and that's usually the way it goes. Now, one thing that we've been talking a lot about in this market is habits and culture. And we had Yannick Hansen on because, you know, Boudreaux has been talking so much about how this team needs to have better habits and in, in, in terms of the mentality even, instead of getting down on themselves, feeling like you have a chance to win and just those types of things. And also when it comes to their system play and having those types of good habits, you've been on the coaching side of things. What do coaches mean at this level? Level when they talk about habits? Well, I think that it has something to do with, um, with identity where you want players to think, or sorry, to play, not think. You want them to just react and not be in their head and thinking uh, during the game. So to me, uh, creating good habits are about you do the same things over and over again. So when situations arise, you don't have to process it. You just react. And this game is like, it's a game of inches, you know, the difference between getting the puck in or out of the zone and getting hemmed in and the goal going one way versus it going the other way. You know, you just want a team that, that's able to react quickly. So, you know, for one, there's the reaction time. The other thing is the trust, you know, not being uh, worried that the guys with you are not going to be where they're supposed to be. So you're kind of covering for guys before it's necessary. You know, trust is such a big part of something that ends up looking like the phrase buy-in. If you just, Trust that everyone else is going to be where they're supposed to be. It looks like you're bought in. Everyone kind of works together. And it's just, to me, it helps explain what's happening in Calgary this season outside of getting their you know butts handed to them by the Canucks. But it looks to me like the team is not that much different than the year before, right? The roster is not wildly different. There's a few additions, but it looks like a team that trusts one another. They're bought in. They have good habits. And it's tough stuff to show on video because it's like, I can show you a video of every team in the NHL when the guys are in the right position on the forecheck. It's just tough to explain a team that does it over and over and over again and just works consistently. And, and so, yeah, it's a difference between the, the Canucks and the Flames and the big picture this year is I like both rosters going into the season. And one team seems to have found what they were looking for a lot earlier. Uh, before we let you go, Justin, uh, final one here for me. A lot of talk about Austin Matthews with the tear he's been on. I mean, he does lead the league in goals with 36. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl has 35, and Alex Ovechkin isn't too far away with 32. Who is the best natural goal scorer in the game right now? I, I do think it's Matthews. Like, it, it's just, it's his sole focus and being, you know, oh, he's the guy and kind of the incumbent in, in this role. But I do see the shift, and Ovi started red hot this year, but he's tailed off a little bit. Leon Dreisaitl is unbelievable. I love David Pasternak. Um, you know, when he's hot, it's unbelievable. And, you know, let's be honest, when Patrick Laine is on, like good Laine is probably in this conversation too. But end of the day for me, Matthews is the guy that just, he's got the shot right now. He is a bully about getting the puck back. He just, thank you very much. That's going to be mine. And, uh, and finds himself in the right spots. Um, you know, his, it's unfortunate he hasn't had a season to get to anywhere near 80 games over the past couple of years. Um, you know, he, there, there's some records to be broken. The, I think the least goal record in the season is 54 goals. So uh, I would imagine that one is in his sights this season. 
You think he's got a, well, I mean, of course he's got a shot at the Hart Trophy, but you think he's one of the favorites? Yeah, you know, I, I look at, you know, Huberto is a, a real option, depending where you sit on a goaltender, Shesterkin is probably a good vote. Yeah. McDavid, McDavid has kind of come become LeBron, where even if he deserves it, we're like, who else could we give it to? You know, not like he's, <laughs> right. he's won it as much as he should, yeah. but he should probably be in that conversation too. Uh, Justin, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for this today, and have a great weekend. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Uh, there is uh, Justin Bourne. Uh, Kipper and Bourne on uh, Sports at 590 in Toronto. Find the podcast and also uh, some great work at sportsnet.ca and uh, also on television as a Sportsnet and Hockey Central analyst. He is uh, an al- also a triple threat, I guess. Yeah, he, he crushes it. He's so good. And, and, and again, like... It's it's a hard thing to make complicated concepts sound simple, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's a hard thing to do, and he's one of the guys that does that, and that's why he's as successful as he is. I mean, he's fantastic. And, you know, we were just asking him about who's the best natural goal scorer in the league this year. You can make the case for Austin Matthews, right? I mean, I think it's been Matthews goals. for a few years, man. It seems like. I mean, he's right there. Now, I do think, you know, Leon Dreisaitl is a really, I don't think he gets talked about enough. I think he kind of always is in the shadow of Connor McDavid, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that he does outpace McDavid. Almost like Malkin and Crosby. Right, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, so I I do think he gets overlooked in this because he's such a good natural goal scorer and he's super consistent, too, with how he gets it done. But who is the best playmaker in the league right now? And why is it Jonathan Huberdeau? <laughs> and Huberdeau is... I, I don't even know how to describe him, man. The vision, the touch he puts on some passes. Uh, I, I was... I, I got home from work a uh, couple of... It was probably last week. Florida and Carolina were playing. They were just about to go into overtime. Florida tied it up late. And then overtime starts. It's three on three. Huberto sends this like pass from below his goal line to Aaron Ekblad, who's streaking through the neutral zone, puts so much sauce on it, and it's perfectly on the tape. It's like Peyton Manning going deep through the middle to Marvin Harrison. I'm just like, what is what is happening right now? Huberto is just the vision and the ability to make every pass look freaking simple. Um, it's it's hard not to vote for Jonathan Huberdeau in that conversation, Sat. Yeah, I mean, he has the most even strength assists in the National Hockey League, right? I mean, he has 56 assists on the season, and Carter McDavid is second with 45. But he has 21 assists on the power play, whereas Huberdeau has 38 even strength assists. 38 even strength yeah. assists in 52 games. Florida and their uh, ability to score this year is uh, is next level. Huberdo, McDavid, and uh, probably Matthews. Those are my uh, my three for uh, the the Hart Trophy right now. I know people want to give Shosturkin the nod. I, I just always have a tough time going with the goalie, but uh, he has. Yeah, been... I was gonna say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm okay with the goalie winning it in the odd year, especially if a goalie plays like 70 odd some games, right? Like, I get that. Like, if you play that many games and you're great. I'm I'm cool with it, right? But like Kevin Woodley kind of outlined, for the Vesna, it shouldn't be a knock against him, but he's had a pretty decent split as far as starts and rest in between, right? I don't think he's he can he plays enough games to really be in the heart race. Like if you want if you want to be in the heart race, 
as a goalie, you got to play at least 70 games to me. Uh, Sam coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text line. If JT Miller got traded to the Leafs, Austin Matthews would be their second best player. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, Sam. Sam also said the best natural goal scorer in the NHL is JT Miller. And he also says Miller is the best playmaker in the league. I love it, Sam. Sam is standing for his guy. I love it. And he's not the only one. Gordy Locke coming in on Twitter. Are you guys pumping Huberto's tires passively, aggressively? Because JT Miller is in the same draft year and age? No, not at all, man. No, but I mean, here's the thing, though, right? I mean, Huberto is hitting his prime right now, and so is JT Miller, yeah. right? And, you know, as far as much as we talk about players who are a bit older, you know, some some guys still hit their prime in their late 20s, and you're seeing that from Huberto. You're seeing that from J.T. Miller. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Coming up, final hour of Canucks Central. It's the mailbag. Your questions for us next on Canucks Central.